Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. God fueled an expectant faith in Abraham and Sarah. He raised their hopes to heights not known before. And then God delayed in answering those very expectations. Today, from Hebrews 11, we consider Sarah and the faith that blesses. It is a faith that keeps on believing, though slow may come the answer. Let me read to you verses 11 and 12 from Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. God has an interesting way of bringing us to faith. He does so by completely ruining our faith in everything else. That's his strategy. That's his plan. You see this in how God delivered the Israelites as slaves from Egypt. The people of Israel had been held captive by the Egyptian idolaters. And the one thing they learned from their Egyptian idolaters is their idolatry. And they became idolaters as well. And they began to worship, the Bible teaches us, they began to worship the gods of Egypt. And so when God brought deliverance for them and brought them out of their slavery and their bondage, he brought them out of the slavery that they become bound in and following Egypt's gods. And he did it by systematically defeating all those gods and overthrowing them by the very powers that these gods were supposed to have. If you worship the Nile, I'll turn the Nile to blood. If you worship Pharaoh, I'll slay his firstborn. God leads the people of Israel to belief by defeating all of their false beliefs. And the hardest belief of all to defeat in the human heart and bringing the heart to depend in utter faith upon God alone is a belief in oneself. Living by faith in God is to believe and trust confidently in God as our one dependable resource. One of the great expressions of faith in all of the Bible is found in a declaration that Paul makes in Romans chapter 3, verse 4. It should stand out in your mind. There Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. And what Paul is saying is God is the only one we can by faith rely on utterly to be faithful. God's the only one we can rely on to be faithful. That's the idea. The life of faith in God is hard to practice, though, because we grow up learning to put faith in our own resourcefulness. In fact, from our very first steps to our very first job, we were learning in some way or another, we were required to have some confidence in ourselves and outcomes that we could produce. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but I'm saying this course of self-confidence interferes with the absolute and complete confidence that we're to have in God. And so, when God brings us to Himself, when God brings us to that full and complete faith that only He can answer in power and provision, 
One of the things God has to do is he has to lead us away from and take us away from this confidence in our natural resourcefulness. This confidence in our own resources, in our own ability to make things happen and provide a way and this capacity that we have honed over time to trust in our solutions and our abilities. God has to turn us out from those things. He brings us to faith by completely ruining our faith and everything else. And the last faith that seems to fall is our faith in ourselves and us in one way or another. In fact, after, after God does bring us to trust in Him and believe in Him and to throw ourselves upon all of His fullness, our pattern is to still go back to the natural instincts of trusting in ourself. But the problem is, when we follow that pattern, what we do is we, as we delve into our own resources and our own resourcefulness, we deny ourselves the resource of God in all of His fullness. We hold back from ourselves as we try to clutchingly provide the answers in ourselves. We hold back from ourselves the ability to wait until God opens up for us Himself as the answer, Himself as the provision. And when God brings us to faith, that's what He does. He turns us away from everything, including ourselves, to Him. And Sarah is an example of a person that God carefully brings to this point of faith. So let's look at her story for a moment and let's just notice something and it's in the very middle of our passage there it says she judged him faithful who had promised. Let's just notice this that faith begins with the promise of God. Faith begins with the promise of God. God makes his way and God makes himself and God makes his promises known to us. To Abraham and Sarah what God does is God offers himself to them in the promise of a life that's to be given to them. A life that not only is to be given to them, but a life that is to flood out from them in a multiplying force. God begins in Genesis 12 to call Abraham, and at that moment, God opens up this promise to him of a life to be given to him that will multiply out beyond his imagination. And God continues to renew that over and over again. And it's not till Genesis chapter 21 that God seems to give the first answer to that promise. The first indication, the first movement away from themselves in this work of, in this great promise of multiplication. And between Genesis 12 and Genesis 21 are a number of different chapters. And one of the things you just have to understand is this, that between those chapters are a lot of years, a lot of years which God doesn't seem to give the answer. Let's look at Genesis 12 for a moment. There God first calls Abram, before he's called Abraham, to leave his own country. And God promised Abraham at that time something that would create within him a tremendous expectation. God promises him a great expression of fruitfulness. God says, I will make of you a great nation. Abraham, I'm going to make of you. You go to this place I'm going to send you to, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. Genesis 13, some years obviously go by before Genesis 13, and God comes to Abraham again, and he promises him, he says to them this, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so if one could count the dust, he could count your offspring. The expectation is building, the promise is growing. I'm sure, by the way, that Abraham is communicating these promises to Sarah, his wife, and she's holding on to them as well. 
In Genesis chapter 15, what we discover is the promise isn't happening. That the thing that is required for this great multiplication to rise up from Abraham and Sarah's life is not occurring. Abraham and Sarah take God's promise to heart and yet no children are being conceived. And Abraham finally comes before God and he says to God, God, I have no children as my heirs. You promised to make of me a great nation. I don't even have any children to give an inheritance to of what I have achieved or accomplished in my life or what you've given to me or brought to me. I'm going to have to make my servant Eliezer my heir. God answers Abraham and says, A son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Look at the sky and count the stars. So shall be your offspring. The promise expands. It grows. God reiterates it. But the years are passing by even as God is reiterating these promises. But here's the promise. I'm going to give you life. And out of that life is going to expand a multiplying fruitfulness beyond your imagination. How about ourselves? What kind of promise has God given us who have turned to Him and believed in Him for salvation? God has promised to fill us with life, to fill us with that life to overflowing. The Christian life in Scripture is presented in a number of different ways, but almost always as it's presented to us, in its most hopeful, expanding expression, it's always expressed as something great and something growing and something beyond imagination and something that we can't contain. And It's expressed as a river that's flowing out from our inmost being to nourish the earth. It's expressed as a field that is full of ripe fruit, expressed as a vineyard with Grapes growing in great amount. The Christian life is expressed as the life of a victor who has filled his home and his life with the spoils of a battle that has been completely won. And the Lord Jesus actually left his disciples with tremendous expectations of great things. You think of the things they saw from him. The miracles that they saw him producing and bestowing upon all those around him. And then in John chapter 14, verse 12, the Lord Jesus turns to these disciples and says to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to my Father. You don't think that raises an expectation of something quite potent? Something quite significant? Something that has a multiplying force, a growing, sustaining fruitfulness. The Lord Jesus wants us to expect those things. God wants us to take this promise seriously. God wanted Abraham and Sarah to take the promise seriously as well. Listen, the land that you're living in, it may be like this. The land that you're living in is not big enough for the nation I'm going to make of you. I'm going to take you to another place in another land and there I'm going to give it to you because we're going to need plenty of room for the nation that I'm going to make of you. They took him seriously. They left and went to that place that God had promised whereby to make them a nation. God wants us to take seriously the promise that we're going to have this impactful, growing, multiplying life. It's the legacy of faith that's been offered to us. A burgeoning fruitfulness. A growing, impactful productiveness. But the promise, as it does with 
Abraham and Sarah doesn't always manifest itself as we might expect or when we might expect it. Often, the longer we look for it, the more impossible it seems. But there's the promise. Here's the second thing I want us to see. I want us to see how faith in God and trusting in God for these things so often turns from trusting in God to going back to relying upon our own flesh. How oftentimes it's easy once having put our faith in Him or initiated faith in Him to turn back to relying upon our own resources and our own resourcefulness, especially when God delays in delivering on those promises. The years pass after God has promised these things to Abraham and Sarah. He had been told also that he would inherit a land that God took him to, but that for his life he would have to live in that land as a foreigner. In other words, God says, now, Abraham, I'm going to take you this land, but you're going to live there like a foreigner because I'm not bringing this to you for your own self to receive it and abide in it as the one who possesses it. I'm giving you this land so that your children and the nation that will rise from you will possess this land. And I think Abraham and Sarah can accept that. They can accept that they can go to that land and they have to live in that land like strangers and intense because, well, there's a multiplying factor to their life that's beyond their ability to see that God is going to send. So this is their expectation. We're going to live in these tents like foreigners in this land that our children are going to inherit. But here's their other expectation. We should be hearing in these tents the sound of the voices of our children. We should hear our children at play. The promise of the great multiplication that will take place in our lives. But they don't. Thanks for joining us for Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.